0: I, I think I've already settled this, but um, best queso in town, Mad Taco GQ and Torchy's, kind of a toss-up between the two of them. I mean, they're both really, really good. Uh, the problem with both of those quesos is I shouldn't actually eat them um, because I was told by my doctor that I have high cholesterol, which is just really ridiculous and stupid because you know, I've been skinny my whole life and I'm thinking, how is this possible that I have high cholesterol? And what I learned is it's not my fault. So I don't have high cholesterol because I've been eating too much queso. It's my mother's fault, right? It, it's my mom's fault. Um, I blame this 100% on her. My mom, too. She's tiny. She's skinny, but she has high cholesterol. It's a genetic thing. So my doctor says you shouldn't eat queso. The problem is I love queso. Uh, another problem is I have a, a staff friend, and I will not name him. Uh, oh, I'll go ahead and name him. Matt Morton. It's Matt. Um, when I go to eat uh, tacos with Matt, Matt always buys queso, and When uh, the queso comes to the table, Matt, he's kind of like the devil. He slides the queso into the center, and he goes, I bought this for, for both of us. We can share the queso. And I say, well, I really shouldn't. I really shouldn't. Oh, okay, I'll just have one chip, right? And then I have one chip, and then I have two chips. And pretty soon, I'm picking up the crumbs, and I'm scraping the queso, and I'm licking the ball. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I'll never do it again. But then I do even though I know I shouldn't. You ever felt that before? Maybe not queso, but maybe something else in your life. You say, oh, you know, I never, I really need to not get on Amazon and my credit card is maxed out and I hadn't, didn't pay, I just need to not, but oh my gosh, it's Black Friday. Again, like every day is Black Friday. When I order from Amazon, it's like Christmas. It comes to my door and I go, oh, somebody thought about me. Well, that was me. Thinking about me, but you know, I mean, it's just, oh, but you know, I'm saving so much money on my third Apple watch because I'm buying it refurbished. This is so good. Oh, I shouldn't do it again. I'll delete the app. But then I put the app back on and do it again. Or maybe it's with your kids. You say, I'm never going to lose my temper with my kids again. I'm going to walk with Jesus. Oh my gosh, these kids, they just punch my button all the time. It's so frustrating. Or maybe it's something you, you know you should do, but you don't do. My body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. I really should care for it. I need to start exercising. I'm going to exercise every day, at least take a walk every day. I need to take care of my body. And then you get through the end of the day, and you're tired, and you go to bed at night, and you go, oh, man, I didn't do it again. But I'll start tomorrow. But you don't. But you know you should. So also, my body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, but also I really need to let my spirit be fed with the Word. I'm going to start spending time in the Word every single day. I'll get up early in the morning tomorrow, and, and I don't. I just I roll over, I hit snooze, and I get to the end of the day. Well, I, I should spend some time at the end of the day, but I'm tired. I, I'll start tomorrow, but I don't. But I want to, and I should. You know that feeling? There are things that we know we shouldn't do that we do. Things we know we should do that we don't. And we keep telling ourselves that we will or we won't, but we don't. We do it's just... Ah, It's a struggle that all of us face. And I am encouraged that apparently the great apostle Paul had exactly the same struggle. So we hit chapter seven. Paul's gonna, in a sense, ask and answer the question, why if we are in Christ, Romans six, do we still struggle with sin? And why doesn't it get easier? And so he's going to describe that internal struggle and he's gonna explain why we have it. And then he's gonna drop a little hint As to how we can overcome in the midst of the struggle, that's chapter 8. But you got to come back for that. That's next week. So this morning, just chapter 7. We're just going to stay in the middle of the struggle. Romans chapter 7. I want you to read with me, beginning in verse 12. So then, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin... By effecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment sin would become utterly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. So, why do I struggle? Why do I continue to struggle even if I am in Christ? Paul says it's because I am of flesh. I struggle because I am of flesh. Now, what does Paul mean by that? Before we get to unpacking that particular phrase, what I want to do is to take us, uh, kind of do a little deep dive on on a biblical anthropology. That is the study of man. What does it mean to be a person? What does it mean to be a human, a man or a woman? I'm going to take you back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, And man became a living being. Now, I inserted each of the Hebrew words, not because there will be a quiz after, but just to kind of emphasize, there's some really important words in this text that help us understand who are we. So this is how it starts. It says, the Lord God formed man. The word for man in Hebrew is Adam, Adam. Adam's name means man. Adam's a prototype. What's true of Adam and his identity is going to be true of us. So how was Adam formed? Well, he was formed Of the dust from the ground, that is, Adam had a physical body made from matter, the matter of the earth, the matter of the universe. Adam was a physical being. He was formed from the dust of the ground, and then God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And what we're told in the Old Testament is that God alone has life in himself. Nothing else and no one else has life in themselves. God is the, is the sole possessor of life, and he can give life. And so what God did is he took physical matter and he formed Adam, but Adam was still inanimate. He was not living. And so what God did is he, he breathed his own life into Adam so that Adam could have a shared life with God. And as a result of the, the material part of Adam being animated in his inner world by the breath of God... Adam became a nefesh or a soul or a living being. Adam became a person. So what is a, what's a human person? Material and immaterial joined together into one. So Adam and you are physical beings. You have a physical body that allows you to interface with a physical world. And your physical body is, is shaped very intentionally. It's a gift from God. It's, it's shaped in such a way that it has certain capacities that allow you actually to enjoy and drive pleasure from the world that God has placed you in. So you have sights and sounds and t- tastes and touch and smell. You have all of these physical senses that allow you to enjoy the good creation that God has made because of the way that God has designed, very specifically, your body, You are bodily. But you also have an inner man, the immaterial part. So there's a material part and an immaterial part, and the immaterial part has capacities to allow you to interface through your body with the world. Uh, the center of a man, we're, we're told in the Bible, is the heart, and typically the heart is not portrayed as the center of emotion. That's in the intestines, or you feel something deeply. You're anxious or you're excited. Where do you feel it? You feel it here. So in the Hebrew way of thinking and the Greek way of thinking as well, your emotions are seated here. The heart is the center of your being. It's kind of the executive center through which you think and you have conscience and you discern and you have will and you act. But that's the the immaterial part of man. And the immaterial and the material are joined together to make one person. And so you interact with the world around you, you interact with the people around you as a person, material and immaterial. You're not a spiritual person with a body. You are bodily and you are spiritual. That's what it means to be a person. And when something happens to either of those, it affects the other, right? The material affects the immaterial and the material affects uh, the immaterial affects the material. They both affect one another. So let me uh, give you an illustration. How do you think you think with the organ, which is your brain. Right? It's a physical organ through which you think. And sometimes when that physical organ is, is harmed, it affects the way that you choose and decide or also uh, how you feel. So I had a good friend, I used to, we used to uh, road bike together and he got hit uh, on the head twice. Second time he got hit on the head, there was a side view mirror, a truck came along and hit him on the back of the head, got a really bad concussion. And he began to struggle with depression and he began to struggle with anger. He had never been depressed before, he'd never been angered before, but his brain got bruised. And when his brain got bruised, his emotions were affected. His emotional world got turned upside down because the inner man and the outer man are connected to one another. Or when you don't get good sleep, what happens to your decision making? Well, it's more difficult to make good decisions, wise decisions. When you you lack sleep, what happens to your memory? Well, you tend to have memory loss. When you're under stress, you have memory loss. So what do you do when uh, you haven't studied for a test? Well, you stay up all night long because that helps you so much. Remember what's going to be on the exam the next day, right? No, it doesn't actually. I mean, it might help a little bit, but there's diminishing returns. Why? Because the brain as an organ needs rest and it needs exercise and it needs sleep and, and food. It needs calories. It needs these things because inner man and outer man are connected. So uh, you're feeling sad. What's wrong? Well, it may mean, mean that you need a nap. You might need sleep or you're feeling sad. You might need to eat or you might need to exercise. Or it might be that you don't have enough of the hormone serotonin in your brain. It might actually be physiological or it might be all of these things tied together. It might be the circumstances, the world in which you, with which you're interacting is bringing hard, difficult things into you and you are responding physically and emotionally and mentally. Right? So your psychological, your suke, your soul, as well as your body, your person, is affected by all of these things. Because God designed us to, in a sense, be a unified whole. The material man and the immaterial man. And in fact, we're told in the Bible when the material man and the immaterial man are separated from one another, that is called death. And it is an unnatural state for people. So, back to Paul's definition. Sorry, I keep forgetting that screen's out. Right? He says, I am a flesh. If I'm in Christ, why do I still struggle with sin? He says, because I'm a flesh. And that word flesh sometimes can refer to your body, just your body. But in this case, Paul uses a term that literally refers to your body to refer to your whole being affected by sin. your, Your flesh is a reference to your whole being, the material and the immaterial, being affected and influenced and broken under the fall. All of you affected by sin. So, there are things about the way that you think and feel and choose and act and discern that pull you constantly away from God. That's your flesh. That pull you constantly away from God and, and, and delude you into thinking that you can actually experience life outside of God. That's your flesh. It's constantly pulling you away. From God, Two principles that Paul's going to unpack. There's the life of flesh and the life of spirit. The spirit is connected to God. The flesh is disconnected from God. And the two are at war with one another. They can't be reconciled to one another at all. They're pulling you opposite directions. One's pulling you away from God. One's pulling you toward God. Your flesh is, is you under the influence of the brokenness of sin in this world. Now, For you or college students who are under probably 30 or so, you're described as digital natives, meaning you always grew up having a screen in front of you. It just feels natural to you. Uh, You get a new phone and you just dig through all the menus and you're fearless and you add apps and you can always hit the delete button or go back or whatever. Just fearless to you, right? You're over... 40 and you go oh it's a screen it's scary right and you don't know what's going to happen when you punch that button and and then you call your kids to try to solve it for you and they go turn it off turn it on done you know it's just really but the natives can't imagine not having a screen the non-natives feel uncomfortable with screen you're native you are native all of you old and young to the flesh it just feels natural There's just something inside of us it just feels natural to kind of move away from God and think we can figure things out apart from God. That is the flesh. And it is wrapped up in your immaterial man and your material man. And you can't be set free from it until you die and are resurrected. It's wrapped up inside of you. So Paul says this. He says, I am of flesh. Verse 14, sold into bondage to sin. Now, that should kind of get your attention when he says that because remember when we were chapter 6, it seemed that Paul was saying that we're free from sin, that we're no longer slaves to sin. And now Paul is saying we're sold into bondage to sin. So did Paul forget what he said five minutes earlier? Is he contradicting himself? Look at chapter 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be rendered ineffective so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. And now Paul is saying, uh, I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. What's he talking about? Well, there are two different aspects of slavery. There's slavery as a status and slavery as an experience. Slavery as a status refers to your identity. Who do you belong to? If you have believed in Jesus Christ, who do you belong to? Jesus, thank you, right? It's always a good answer. Sunday morning, Jesus is the answer, right? If you have died and been buried and risen again with Jesus, you belong to Jesus. He redeemed you, right? That's slavery terminology. He he went into the marketplace of sin and death, and he bought you for himself. So now you belong to Jesus. Your status has been changed. Look at verse 22, chapter 6. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God... You derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome of eternal life. So your status has changed. Your destiny has been changed because you've been declared righteous. You're in Christ. Does that have any practical benefit? Yes, it does. Now that you are in Christ, you actually do have the freedom to say no to sin. Prior to knowing Christ, the only voice in a sense that was speaking into your life was the flesh pulling you away from God. And now... So we'll talk about in chapter 8, there's another voice, which is a stronger voice, the voice of the Spirit. And you now have a choice to say no to sin. But you have to make that choice. Because there are two voices. Your status has changed. You're not a slave of sin. Your destiny has been changed. You have eternal life. You belong to him. Now you have a choice, but you have to consistently learn to make that choice, to listen to the voice of the Spirit and not the voice of the flesh. The result is your life is internally and externally a battleground. <laughs> it's a battleground. Because there's slavery as a status, but then there's also slavery as an experience. Look at verse 16 of chapter 6. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting of death or of obedience resulting in righteousness, there are patterns, habits, addictions in your life. But when you choose to follow those, you experience slavery, sin. I don't know if any of you have ever had a car where the alignment was off. You're driving down the road and you take your hands off the wheel and what happens? Well, the car just, <laughs> just goes to the ditch or it goes into the oncoming traffic, right? It's just going to pull. It's going to pull left or right because the alignment is off. That's you. You're a car out of alignment. there's a brokenness in you that pulls you away that's called the flesh here's another illustration for you really great illustration of the flesh tarzan yeah tarzan that you weren't expecting me to talk about tarzan this morning so tarzan is a great illustration of of the flesh so for those of you who don't remember the story of tarzan let me refresh your memory um Tarzan was a little boy. He was sailing along the coast of Africa and, uh, with his parents, and there was a mutiny on the ship. They put his family on the coast there, and his mother died, and then his father was killed by apes, and the apes took him in and raised him. So he's raised by apes in the jungle from a very young age. So that's kind of all he could ever remember was being raised by the apes. And then along came a really cute girl named... Jane yeah well done Jane came along right so Jane's sailing along the same coast she gets marooned with her family but they get rescued and according to different versions of the story he follows her back and finds her in America and eventually they move to England while well, in the process he learns that he is actually uh, he's royalty he's the Earl of Greystoke And so now he gets a castle, and he's got wealth, and he's got all these clothes, and he absolutely hates it. He hates life in England, and so he takes off all of his clothes almost, and he goes back to the jungle, right? He goes back to the jungle to live in the jungle. And the moral of the story is you can take the man out of the jungle, but you can't take the jungle out of the man, okay? You are Tarzan, not Jane. You're Tarzan, and there is jungle in you. That's the flesh. Some aspect of who you are is constantly pulling you away from God. It's constantly deceiving you that you can figure out life on your own apart from God. So what Paul says is there are these two forces at work. There's life of the spirit and there's life of the flesh. And they're in opposition to one another. And if you say to yourself, you know what, I'm just tired of fighting. I don't want to fight anymore. I just want to be free. If you give in to your enemy, you are not free. You are a prisoner of war. You have to fight. You got to fight until you die and are buried and rise again. And are glorified Tell the flesh is stripped from your body and re- you receive a glorified body. If you say, I don't want to fight, I'm just going to give in. I want freedom. You become a prisoner of sin. You become a slave of sin. So you got to fight and you got to commit to fighting. You must fight. But you can't fight on your own. As Paul will say, in chapter, earlier in chapter 7, God's law can't fix me. That is, I can't solve this on my own. I can know what's true about me, and I can know God's law, but if I try to fulfill it in my own strength, I will fail. Read with me chapter 7, again verse 12. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by effecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. So, what Paul is saying at the first half of chapter 7 is the law is good. The law reveals something about the nature of God, the truth of God, the goodness of God. The law reveals something about me as well. It's true. What it reveals about me is there's something deeply broken inside of me. The law exposes the fact that I'm born a sinner. Chapter 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me, coveting of every kind, right? I heard don't covet. I was like, oh, what don't I have? I guess I want it. No trespassing. Well, of course, there must be something really interesting behind that door. I've got to go in. I've got to try it. I've got to press on that door. Don't eat the queso. Gosh, I wasn't even thinking about queso until you put it on the table. But now I want the queso, right? And the law, don't eat the queso, made me want the queso even more. I'll probably get queso for lunch. the law lacks power to change me it can expose my sin and it can show me what's true and what's false what's good and what's bad because the law is true but it can't fix me and if I try to follow God in my own strength I will fail notice what he says in chapter 8 verse 3 for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. That is, the only resource that the law has at its disposal is you or me. And we will fail. We, may, we have good intentions, but we'll fail. So, that means we will constantly be in a battle. Okay, The struggle is real. I know the right thing to do. I want to do the right thing. But there's something pulling inside of me to go the other direction. Listen to how Paul describes... His own struggle, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. Here's his explanation. For what I'm doing, I, don't under, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. Now, it may surprise you, but it's highly debated uh, who Paul is talking about. Is Paul talking about himself before he knew Jesus or himself after he knew Jesus? Um, I would argue he's talking about himself as a man who genuinely knows Jesus and wants to follow Jesus. Paul is describing his own internal struggle as a follower of Jesus. Notice how he uh, describes himself, verse 22. He says, I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. Yeah, but someone would say, well, a Christian shouldn't really struggle like this. Well, and certainly the Apostle Paul shouldn't struggle like this, but the Apostle Paul did struggle like this. He says, I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I also see there's another law that's pulling me away from God. This is the normal Christian life to struggle. It's the normal Christian life that we would struggle. So, 20 times in these few verses... Paul uses first-person singular in the present tense. This is what the Apostle Paul, as he's writing the book of Romans, is battling with. This is our battle. This is our struggle. So remember, in the flow of thought the book of Romans, as Paul's developed it, chapters 1 through 3, we're all under judgment because we all are sinners. 323, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, we don't earn God's favor. We don't earn the removal of the debt of our sin, but we're given it as a gift. So in place of our sin, we are credited with the righteousness of Christ. and Now we have peace with God. That being said, Paul says, now we are identified with Jesus in his death and burial and resurrection. Verse 4. Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So Paul says, I understand that truth. I know that truth. I'm trying to apply that truth. So why do I still struggle? Because I am a flesh sold into bondage of sin. That's why I struggle. He makes the same point in the book of Galatians, his other book on the gospel, and he says this. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. What are the things that you please? Both. (laughs) Right? Both. Sometimes I really want the things of the flesh, and then sometimes I really want the things of the Spirit. And I am torn. Right? I'm torn. Verse 20. But if I'm doing the very thing that I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Paul says there are two laws or two principles. There is the law of the spirit or the law of his mind that he agrees that God is right and God is true and God is holy and God is just. But Then there's the law or the principle of his flesh and these two are in opposition to one another and there cannot be a truce. You can't fix your flesh. You can't reform your flesh. What we will learn is that you have to crucify your flesh moment by moment by moment by moment and your flesh will always be there standing right at the door ready to come back. It's right there. Because it's intertwined with your inner man and your outer man. So who's to blame? Verse 17, Paul says, so no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Verse 20, but if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. So, is Paul saying uh, the devil made me do it? Right? He's saying it's not my fault. No, what Paul's doing is he's wrestling with trying to understand what's happening inside of himself. Verse 19 For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. Paul's Paul's saying, look, it's sin which dwells in me for which I am responsible. The the I in chapter seven is both. The inner man who is influenced by the flesh and the inner man who is influenced by the spirit. It's, it's both. You are both. The real you, so to speak, is uh, both. Now, interestingly, just this week, a friend of mine sent me this, this comic, which I thought was very timely and very appropriate uh, for the topic. Bird, someone ate all the chips. It was you. You? Oh, but that's me yeah that's me that's you you ate all the chips you want the chips tell yourself you shouldn't eat the chips but then you do eat the chips but that's sin dwelling in you yes that is sin dwelling in you so is there hope yes Uh, there's hope there's hope in Jesus Um, we don't end with chapter 7 we're going to turn the page into chapter 8 shortly verse 24 chapter 7 though we're not there yet Paul says, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Okay, Paul genuinely, genuinely wrestles with his own brokenness. This is the great apostle Paul. He says, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever wrestled with your own sin and sinfulness that deeply that you say, Golly, Lord, who will set me free? You ever had those days where, you know, you just have a, you have a great start to the day. You get up and you, you go for a run and have a quiet time. You're like, oh my gosh, this is just going to be an amazing day. I had a wonderful quiet time. I spent extra time in the Word. I read an extra chapter. I actually memorized a verse and I, I journaled. I haven't journaled in, in, in a year. And I journaled and I had quiet time and I had my coffee and I ran. It's going to be an amazing day. And you climb in your car and somebody pulls in front of you. You go, ah And you start yelling, screaming at them. Right? And you point them back into their own lane they don't know where they're supposed to be and you go oh my gosh how could it all unravel so quickly wretched man that i am who will set me free from the body of this death is there hope verse 25 thanks be to god through jesus christ our lord so then on the one hand i myself with my mind i'm serving the law of god but on the other with my flesh the law of sin i'm in a battle but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's chapter 8. Okay, he's previewing chapter 8. Sin is, is like a bully. Your flesh is like a bully. But then Jesus shows up. Okay? And your flesh is a bully. And it's a bully that never really is going to leave you alone. But Jesus is stronger. And the spirit that Jesus sends to us is, is stronger than the bully who is your flesh. So, uh, what are a couple lessons for us to take away? There are three things I want you to think about this week. The first is this. Struggle is the normal Christian life. And it may not have been said to you explicitly, but sometimes I just think it just gets embedded in our minds. We think, well, now that I'm a Christian, I shouldn't struggle any longer. (laughs) That's just not how it works. Remember, here's the gospel. You have sin. That is, you want to figure out life apart from God. You might do it through your own self-righteousness, through trying to be a good person and you're earning God's favor. You might do it through chasing after all the lusts inside of yourself. It's just you figuring out life apart from God. That's sin. It creates separation. That's what Jesus died for. He died to remove the separation. So he pays our debt of sin that has created separation. Having removed the debt of sin, he buys us for himself. We belong to God. All that you do is you say to God, thank you for paying my debt through Jesus. You receive a gift from God. Having received the gift, the debt is removed, and you have life. Only God has life in himself, but now your spirit, which was separated from the spirit of God, is now united to the spirit of God. You have spiritual life. You have eternal life. That is life now, but also life that will last forever. Also, he gives you the gift of the Spirit. And the Spirit begins the process of reshaping you and reforming you. But it's a lifelong process. And you will struggle for the rest of your life. There's not going to be this point in time where you go, oh my gosh, I'm so spiritually mature that I don't have to battle any longer. (laughs) Sin is always there, crouching right at the door, ready to come in, even after your best quiet time. Because sin is wrapped up in your material and immaterial self pulling on you constantly. So what happens as you become mature is that you progressively learn to say no to the enticements of sin and love Jesus more. Okay. Second application, your strength is not enough. Okay. Your, your strength, will, And your strength will never be enough. You can't try harder and do this. What happens is you become more and more humble and more and more profoundly dependent upon God. And so what I want to challenge you to do this week is to think about not how can you do more, but how can you become more humbly, genuinely dependent upon God to change you and transform you? Okay? That's, that's what I want you to think about, because we get into chapter 8 a little bit. And then finally, thank God for freedom through Jesus. Right? Paul just drops a little breadcrumb here at the end. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. But he's going to unpack it in chapter 8. So you've got to come back next week for chapter 8. Because that's where Paul really dives into the, the, the power of the spirit over the bully, which is the flesh. Okay, so those are the things I want you to think about. If, if you're struggling and wrestling, it's one of the evidences that you're still in the battle. If you're not struggling with temptation and sin, it may be that you're just not taking sin seriously enough in your life. Right? But Satan's going to try to discourage you because you're struggling. The struggle is normal. That's the normal Christian life. Second, how can you become more actively dependent upon the Spirit? And then as we close, let's give God thanks for Jesus. So we're going to celebrate communion together, which, which was the gift Jesus gave to the church. He says, here's a visible way for you to stop and remember and give thanks that I've given you eternal life and I've given you power to change. So uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to ask you just to take a few moments quietly before the Lord and just give him thanks We have eternal life in Jesus, but also we have hope, right? We have power over sin.